So today we're going to begin a, a brief series. It's going to be five weeks, and the series is on the subject of the church, its life, and its purpose. And we're doing this in conjunction with the um, the launching of the the community groups, the home home groups, the small group ministry that's going to be coming up in October. And we're really wanting to encourage you to engage in a, a small group of some sort. Now, um, I mean, ideally, from my perspective, if everybody in the church was involved in a group like that, that would be wonderful. Because that's where we're going to experience uh, the kind of thing that God intended with the church. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at different pictures in the New Testament of what the church is to be like. Because as wonderful as it is that we're all here today, and I'm very happy that you are here, um, if this is the extent of church in your mind and experience then you're missing out on a whole lot of what church is really supposed to be according to God's word. And as, as wonderful as it is to gather on Sunday or to come out to a midweek Bible study or to join in a weekly prayer meeting, all of those things are great. But there's so much more to be experienced in the context of the church. And that so much more uh, happens as we do life together in a community of believers. You see, what God intends is that we would, each one of us, have deep personal friendships with people that have as, as the common bond our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we want to cultivate that. We want to experience all that God intends for us. Because too often, we miss out on that. We live in a culture that's very dedicated to individualism. A lot of people just feel like, you know, I, I can kind of do it by myself. I don't really need help. Um, unless it benefits me directly, personally, I'm not really interested in it. People aren't thinking so much about uh, a family sometimes or a group or a community. They're thinking more just about their own uh, personal wishes and so forth. And that's understandable. That's the world that we live in. But what we have to make sure we don't do is transfer that mentality over into the church. And if we've done that, we need to break free from that. And so as we look at the church from the pages of Scripture, we're going to see that um, that is God's ideal. If, if, if we're going to, to meet the ideal that God has set forth in his word regarding the church, we will indeed have to break from that mentality. Because the church has to do with doing life together, not just coming together for a few hours a week, but, but really truly doing life together, bearing one another's burdens, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, 
It has to do with sharing and helping and knowing and caring and loving and teaching and correcting and looking out for each other. And it's only when we understand that and it's only when we start to engage in that that we are going to experience the fullness of what God intends for us within the church. You see, you can't fully mature as a Christian in isolation. You can't fully mature as a Christian without a band of Christian brothers and sisters around you to help you in that process. God designed it in such a way that we could not do this alone. He doesn't want us to be alone. In the very beginning, when God creates man, the one negative thing he says it is, is this, it is not good that man should be alone. So the whole idea of, of relationships and of community and all of that originated with God himself. And as he started his church, which is the new society in the world, he has set it up to be a place of community. And so here in our text, we see the church in its earliest form, and we see it as a community. The key word that I want to focus in on in verse 42 is the word fellowship. Now, we all have heard that word. We use that word. Some know what it means. Some are not quite sure. Um, but, of course, it's what we experience together. You know, I was thinking of, of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And maybe you remember in that trilogy, the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Well, what does that mean? Well, the whole point is, all of the characters in the book, they come together around the ring. The ring is the, the thing that draws everybody together. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about all of us coming together with something in common, the thing that draws us all together. And of course, the thing that draws us all together, we could say it's the fellowship of the sun. It's the fellowship that, that centers around the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this word fellowship, it is the translation of a Greek word that is uh, pronounced koinonia. And koinonia is one of those Greek words that has a lot of ways that it can be translated into English. And so whether it's in the New Testament or in classical Greek, uh, the word has been translated variously. Let me give you some examples. It's been translated as association. It's been translated as communion or contribute or distribute or share. But it has also been translated as community. And so I want you to notice verse 42 is the key because verse 42 shows us the four fundamental foundational things upon which the church is built. So the church is built on the apostles' doctrine, which is the scriptures, on fellowship, on the breaking of bread, which would be the celebration of communion, as we often call it, which would be worship, and on prayer. So those four things are the foundational things of the church. 
And all four of those components are necessary for a healthy experience as a Christian individually and for us together congregationally. So if we take any one of those things out of that, that those foundational uh, aspects there, if we, t- if we take anyone out or if we neglect any one of them, it's going to be uh, to our own detriment. And so I think oftentimes we miss the fellowship aspect of this equation. I I think we as a church and we as a group of churches, I think we could say that we've been strong in the apostles' doctrine. We we teach the Bible. That's a a huge uh, passion for us and it's a huge emphasis and and we're going to do that. We're going to keep doing that. But sometimes when it comes to fellowship, I think that maybe we've been a little weaker. We haven't realized how essential this component is as well. And how I, the, the things that I'm learning as I'm, as I'm going through God's word, th- those things that inevitably have to be worked out in my life, the context that they get worked out in is this context of fellowship. And so that's really where I want us to focus today. We want to talk about fellowship. And so we want to talk about community Because as I said, the word is translated community. And we want to use the family as a model for community. Because of course, a family is just a a microcosm of a community. Now, in many places in the New Testament, the language of family is used to describe the way that we are to live and to uh, interact with one another. And of course, when the New Testament is speaking of family, it's speaking of family in the best sense. And I only say that because I know for, for some people, family does not um, conjure up pleasant memories, but maybe it, it's, a, it's a very negative thing. Of course, we have many, many dysfunctional families in the world today. And so your your experience of family might not have been that good. So I'm saying, hey, we're a family. And you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I really like that. We're talking about family in the best sense. We're talking about family in the sense that God intended to be. We're talking about a situation where we love and support one another, where we are our brother's keeper and he is our keeper as well, where we don't give up on one another, but we're committed to one another's good and to one another's glory. And this is a picture that we find throughout the New Testament. And we're told in Ephesians chapter two that we are members of the household of God. So that's where you get the family picture spelled out very clearly. We're members of God's family. We're members of the household of God. And the environment or the atmosphere in which we are to experience this family life is an atmosphere of brotherly love. And so Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, chapter 12, verse 10, he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. 
And then writing to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, verse 9, the first epistle, he said, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And then in Hebrews 13, 1, we read, Let brotherly love continue. So we're members of the household of God. The environment in the, the family is an environment of brotherly love. Love for one another. Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, put it well. He said, we have all come to one and the same Savior. We have the same salvation. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Father. We even have the same trials. And finally, we are all marching and going together to the same eternal home. And now listen, listen closely. This is not speaking merely of what we are experiencing right here today, but remember, our family is universal. Our family is spread all over the planet. Our family is in every nation. It's among every people, every tribe, every language. We're all part of the same family. The church is God's universal family. And I think it is so important that we keep that at the forefront of our minds. You know, some years ago, I started to pray in a much broader sense than I used to pray. I kind of probably used to pray for the church, meaning the one that I went to. So, you know, I'm praying for the church and asking God's blessing on the church. And, and of course, that was fine. The church that I went to or the church that I pastored, I want that for that. But I also needed to understand that as we talk about, you know, God pouring out his spirit, as we talk about God reaching a community or God reaching a nation or something like that, I began to realize, you know, it's going to take more than one church for this to happen. So... Maybe I should pray for all of the churches in the community. And then as time went on, my vision got broader and broader. So, you know, when I pray for the church now, I'm, I'm praying all over the world. I, I have the, the wonderful privilege of actually knowing people in churches in a lot of places in the world. But then there's certainly places where I don't know anybody. But nevertheless, those are our people still. So I can pray for them. I can include them. You see, that's the reality. The church is one big family, and therefore the church is a community. The church is a tight-knit community as a family would be. Now, I want to sort of camp for a moment on just this picture of the church's family. And I, know I, I want to read something that, that talks about family and family life and then trans, transfers it over into the church's family and uh, church life. So uh, let me read it. It says, families might argue and fight, but they are bound by family ties. You stick together and you stick up for each other. Families support one another and accept one another, no matter how weird you are, your family. <laughs> That's a little side note there. 
Family means we take care of one another as there is need, whether the need is material, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. We do our best to help. When there's an issue, we don't give up on one another, but we continue to try to work things out. We communicate. We seek to deepen our relationships with one another by spending time together. Therefore, we meet together often, as often as possible. We talk about big life issues and decisions with each other openly. We make big life decisions that our family, along with scripture and the Lord, would support. We confess sin and pray for one another and hold each other accountable so we can be healed and grow. We help one another through good times and hard times. We weep and rejoice together. We fight sin and temptation together. We wrestle together for greater commitment to and affections for Jesus. We don't leave the family without a big conversation explaining why and what is going on and making sure all is good. We respect one another's difference of opinion and practices and non-essential issues. We love one another. This is the most important thing of all. We are committed to the good, the blessing, the wholeness of each other. We are committed to seeing Christ magnified in each other's lives. Now, this is just a really a, a beautiful description of what we're talking about here. This is, this is family. And if we haven't developed that kind of culture within our local church, we need to recognize that and we need to do everything that we can to develop it because this is, this is it. And I think so many people, um, they have a, a, a misunderstanding of the church because maybe they had a bad experience with the church. Maybe they came to visit a church and they didn't feel loved or welcomed or uh, they didn't think that they had any kind of a place there. Or maybe a person comes for even a long season and, and yet still feels very isolated and lonely and so forth. And, and you know, that, that easily happens in our society. It easily happens in our culture. And for many people, church has always been kind of just like that. You know, where you go to church meaning you go to a building and you sit there with a group of people and you listen to a sermon or you go through a ritual or whatever the case might be, but then that's the end of it. Now, for many people, that's, that's just their church experience. Uh, many of them would not even necessarily really even be true members of God's family through faith in Jesus, but they attend a church. But it's also even possible to be a true member of God's family, and yet that's the experience that you have. But you see, that's not what God intended. He intended something like we just read, something that is, I think is, is a very good description of what family life and then blending over into church life is to look like. Now, to just finish up that there as I, as I was reading it. On the flip side, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have deep connection with every single person, but the point is that each of us are connected to one another and connected as a whole. The family metaphor doesn't 
mean that we all click and get along like best friends. It doesn't mean we all agree on the same things, that we all like the same music or art or have the same political ideas or same views on education or have the same interests or hobbies. We are diverse just like families often are. And at the same time, we maintain a single identity as brothers and sisters and members of the household of God. That's such a beautiful picture of the way it is. There is a unity, but there is an expected diversity. But the commonality is Jesus. We all share the single identity that we are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So to me, this is really a, a great picture of what we're talking about. We're talking about community. We're talking about engaging in the lives of other people. We're talking about cultivating and developing deep and lifelong friendships. And if you don't have that experience as a believer, listen, you're missing out. And listen, God wants you to have that experience. And so that's one of the reasons why we as a congregation are moving toward the home groups and emphasizing this because we have got to enter in on that level. We can't be content to just uh, be like a, an educational center where we just gather and listen to a teaching and then, you know, that's, that's about the, the extent of it. We, we've got to go beyond that. Now, the portion that I just read to you, I want to give credit to whom credit is due. The portion that I just read to you is something that my oldest son wrote and it was something that was in one of his uh, teachings on the subject of the church. And, you know, so I'm, I'm reading over this. He sent me his notes. I asked him if he would. And as I'm reading over this, I'm thinking, man, this is amazing. This is so good. And wondering, I, I wonder where he got this. So I said, hey, you know, where'd you get that? And he said, well, you know, actually I wrote it. And it blessed me because I thought, wow, you know, as a, as a young pastor, he's not that young, he's 33. But, you know, I thought, man, this is, this is a great vision. This is what the church is to look like. And thinking about, just on a personal note for a moment, after he told me that he wrote it and after I was sort of meditating on it more, I thought, you know, this really kind of fits with him because from the time he was a little kid, he always just was so excited when the family was together. I mean, that for him was, you know, he, he loved it. It was, man, let's just do family stuff. And I see that now as a grown man with three children. I see, you know, he's, he's still doing the family thing with his own family. But I see that he's taken these principles and he's also translated them into the life of the congregation that God has him pastoring. So, so this is what a community of believers looks like. And I said, hey, I'm stealing your notes because after all, we're family and family can do that, right? Now, the idea of community is very attractive. It's very attractive. And you know, it's interesting. It's very attractive among a younger generation. And could it be that the attraction with the younger people these days toward community is a result of the breakdown in their own personal families. 
I mean, after all, there aren't that many families these days that haven't gone through some sort of serious breakdown. So it's a, it's a fact, it's a sociological fact that the idea of community has a, a great attraction for people, that they're, they're oftentimes drawn into something because of the community element of it. You know, this is true uh, when it comes to gangs. If you listen to people currently in gangs or people that uh, are thinking about entering a gang or people who have been there and are no longer there, they will quite often tell you the same thing. The big attraction was there was community, there was family, there was acceptance, there was an identity for me. I didn't have any of that. I remember the interview with uh, David and Sonia Trujillo in the uh, neighborhood film that we made, and they were explaining that as young teenagers, they entered the gang life in LA because of the, commun the community element. Their families were totally messed up. And so the gangs offered them uh, a place where they felt welcomed and they felt received and they felt respected and, and all of those things that people are looking for. You know, the same is true in the gay culture. Oftentimes, people will talk about the, the community element there. I've even talked to people who have come out of the gay lifestyle and come into the church and have said to me, hey, listen, the gay culture is doing community better than the church is doing it. And oftentimes, that's uh, a big attraction or that's something that, you know, a, a person will because they're obviously feeling rejected in a lot of different ways, so they, they feel acceptance there. And you know another place that is actually very strong in community? It's within the religion of Islam. So I was in London a couple of weeks ago and I was meeting with a friend of mine and he's a Pakistani and he pastors a church that is predominantly made up of former Muslims and of course, being from Pakistan, he comes from an Islamic country. And he pastors in a very um, Islamically populated part of London. And as we were talking, he, was, he said to me, he said, you know, the thing is, he said, the, the Muslims, they, they have such a strong community emphasis. He said, when wh whoever lands in London from whatever part of the world, when they're coming from an Islamic background, they are uh, immediately, they're brought into the community. People help them get a job. They help them get established. They help them with practical things for their family. And as we're having this conversation, we're both kind of lamenting that we don't see this kind of thing more among the church. How could it be that gangs and the gay culture and Islam could have a more powerful and, and, and a more attractive uh, community kind of a thing going than, than we do? There's something radically wrong with that. And I, I think in the end, when you think about it, of course, the devil knows how powerful community is. The devil knows how uh, powerful it is to see 
people loving each other and, and working together and all of that. And he knows what a draw that is. And so what does he wanna do? He wants to cause all kinds of division and he wants to get us to lose sight of that whole vision of family and community. He wants us to ignore that. He wants us to fight and argue and bicker with each other and not associate with one another. And partially to take away the opportunity to draw people in. So we, we really have to be careful. And we have to recognize that we already, through Christ, we have the greatest community possible, potentially. It's there, it can happen, but practically we've got to do it. So here are the things that we need to do. Three things. We need to, number one, we need to engage intentionally in community. Intentionally engage in community. You see, it's not good enough to know that this is what it's supposed to be like. I have got to put myself in the middle of this thing called community. Now, the difficulty, of course, is that sometimes that is gonna take me out of my comfort zone. And isn't it true that we all uh, too often wanna just stay in the place where we're comfortable? But listen, it's only by getting out of your comfort zone that you actually get into the real excitement of life. You know, if, if you just on a purely human level, I mean, if you just spent your life, your whole life where you were comfortable, you wouldn't do a whole lot of anything. And you would miss out on all kinds of amazing and wonderful things. And the same is the case in your Christian life. So regardless of whether or not it's uncomfortable, you have to do it. And you know, there's lots of things in life that are gonna be uncomfortable that you don't have any say so over. But here's one thing that if you take a step out of your comfort zone, guess what's waiting on the other side? There's a blessing waiting on the other side. See, God's calling us into this. And yes, we might have to step out of our comfort zone to get there. But when we get there, we're gonna find that, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. This is so wonderful. What was I thinking? Why was I holding back on this? Look what I've been missing out on. You know, I know people that have been involved in um, you know, community type groups, home fellowship type of things. I know people that have been involved in the same group for 10, 15, 20, 25, even 30 years. And the testimony from every one of those people is like, man, th this is my family. And people in those kinds of situations, they have, they have seen one another go through all of the, the challenges and the difficulties of life, of, of bankruptcy, of losing a home, of losing health, of losing a loved one, of all of these kinds of things. And they have been strengthened and upheld and blessed because they had this body of believers that loved them and faithfully were there for them. And that's the experience that every one of us 
are intended to have by the Lord. But we have to be intentional about engaging in community. So when we talk about community groups, when we talk about uh, the women's study and the small group aspect, or we talk about the men's study and the small group aspect, instead of saying, oh, you know, I don't do that small group thing. uh, That's the guy saying that, you know. The ladies are like, oh, a small group. Oh, I love that. I can't wait. No, we, we want to say yes. That's engaging. You know what? I, I am going to do that. That might be uncomfortable. I might, I might feel a little bit awkward initially, but we need to do it. And we need to do it with the understanding that, look, this is where, because we're family, because we love each other, we're, we're out for, for everybody's best interest, for their good and for their glory, you know, we ought to be able to come and to be vulnerable. You know, a lot of people, you know why they don't want to go to a group like that? Because they don't want anybody to know what's really going on in their life. But you know what? As long as nobody knows what's going on in your life, nobody's going to be able to help you. They don't want to share that because after all, if I told people that, they wouldn't want to associate with me. And you know, that is true sometimes that that does happen. And that's just flat out wrong. And you see, we have to remember that not only are we all the, the children of one father, and not only have we all been saved by the same Savior, but we're all sinners as well. And we all need God's grace, and we all need each other. And when any person is struggling and sincerely wanting deliverance or help or perspective or whatever they need at the moment, you know, this should be the place that they would feel confident that, you know, I can go there and I can tell them the the deepest, darkest secrets of my heart. And I know that I'm still going to be loved. And I know that I'm going to be, I'm going to be helped. But sadly, sometimes we don't do that. So we've got to do better at that. We've got to remember that we're all sinners saved by grace and we're, our, our job for one another is, is to help one another progress and move forward. So we must be intentional about engaging in community. Secondly, we must be intentional about functioning as a loving family. So we, we have to be intentional about this. And when I say functioning, I mean we're engaging. We're, we're, we're doing it. We're putting ourselves there. And this is what we have to realize. Every single person has a contribution to make. Remember I said the word koinonia is, is uh, occasionally translated contribution? So in this context of fellowship, everyone has something to give. A lot of times people are held back because they think, well, you know, I don't really have anything to give. But you know what? You do you probably have more to give than you realize. And listen, here's a little known secret, but it's the truth. None of us can fully grasp the depth and the glory of Christ independent of each other. You know, some people think they can. Some people say, you know what? I don't need church. I don't need other believers. I don't need anything. I got my Bible right here. I can read it and pray, and I can just get to know Jesus all on my own. Well, you'll get to know Jesus to some degree, but there's a whole lot of Jesus that you will not get to know at all. 
because Jesus is more revealed to us through one another. God has arranged it that he uses human agency to reveal himself. And so we cannot dispense with other people and say, we don't need that. I've just got my Bible and the Holy Spirit and the Lord and I'm fine. Well, that's incorrect theology because the Bible doesn't know anything about spiritual or Christian maturity independent of the body of Christ. We need each other. We learn from each other. We grow by engaging with each other. We grow by uh, sharing our gifts and our stories and those kinds of things. And it really does, in, in this sense, it takes a community to know the Lord fully. This is one area where we cannot uh, have a heavy individualistic leaning. We've got to, to move away from that. And so intentional about functioning as a loving family. And then thirdly, intentional about displaying to the world the glory of God's church through love. Now, like I said, the gangs, the gay culture, the Muslims, they're doing a good job at community. But of course, there's a lot of other issues that are very problematic, right? But we've got the truth. We've got grace. We've got love. We need to do a better job at community. And the best way to do a better job at it is to be doing it ourselves, living it ourselves, experiencing it ourselves. And then it just sort of naturally becomes the environment that we live in. And again, we're displaying this to the world because community is attractive. You know, there are so many lonely people in this world. There are so many broken people. There are so many hurting people. But you know, how come they don't think, well, you know, I want to go to the church. I want to go see what the Christians have to say. Because oftentimes they think, well, I can't go there because, boy, they're not going to accept me. They, you know, I think they hate me or whatever the case. You know, that, that's the mentality of some people. And granted, some of it is through the propaganda of the devil using various sources to kind of give the wrong picture that the church hates sinners. But let's also be honest and recognize that sometimes we didn't even need the devil. We did a good job ourselves of kind of presenting things like that, kind of a pharisaical approach. So we've got to, we've got to get rid of all of that. And, and we've got to cultivate that culture among us that is an attraction to people in the world that they say, you know, I'll go to the church. They can help me. They have answers. Or, or my, my, my loneliness, my, my need for for friendship and so forth, that it can be met there. So last week I was in New York City. I was with my son-in-law and we're cruising around the city together and doing some different things. And he's in ministry. We're talking about church planting. We're talking about reaching people and all that. And we happen to be in the Chelsea area. And the Chelsea area is sort of the, it's sort of the, it's kind of the gay center of the city. And, you know, as we're walking along and, and as we're seeing, you know, numerous, you know, guys walking together as couples and so forth and, 
you know, sitting at restaurants and eating and all that. And, and you know, in, in the, as we're just having a conversation, talking about life and ministry and all of that as we're going along, we're, you know, we, we sort of just began to talk about, you know, reaching this community. You know, how, how do you really reach a community like this? A community that um, already has the, the, probably the most negative view of the church possible, a community that is a, a sinful community. Uh, you know, how do you break into this? How do you break through? And as we talked about it, we, we both come to the same conclusion that really probably it will be ultimately reached from the inside. That people who are either family members or long lifetime friends or co-workers or people who were in the lifestyle but have now come out of the lifestyle but still maybe live in the community, you know, that's the way that, that people are going to be reached. We, we sort of concluded that it was kind of probably going to have to be sort of a one person at a time type of an approach. But then at the same time, thinking pastorally and thinking as leading a congregation, I thought, so this is what you have going. You have the individual believer who has the relationship with the person, so they're sharing, but what do they need? They need a place that they can take them where they can experience everything the person's telling them about. A place where they feel welcome. A place that they sense that they can come to and not be judged and, and not be uh, banned or anything like that. So that was kind of our discussion and that was our conclusion and we felt real confident that that's what the Lord was sort of showing us. And that night, we went and we had dinner with a friend. And this particular friend spent about, you know, two and a half, three decades in that lifestyle, still lives in that community. And as he began to talk to us, we didn't even tell him about the conversation we had or the conclusions that we had drawn. As, we began to, as he began to talk to us, he was telling us about his recent experiences with people in that lifestyle, in that community that were very hostile, very aggressive, very anti-Christ in every sense of the word, and yet how suddenly he was seeing that God was breaking through in the lives of some of these people through his relationship with them. And as we listened to that, we thought, wow, that's exactly what we were talking about today. And then at the end of the story, and he was telling us about one particular guy that's been very aggressive and very hostile, and even to the point of violence publicly, he said, and you know what? Sunday, he came to church with me. And we thought, wow, that's it. He came to church, and he felt welcomed, and he heard a message, and he walked away with a whole lot to think about. But you know, to me, it was just a confirmation of everything that, that we've been talking about. You see, we have this ultimate community, if you will. It's the, the fellowship of the son. It's the family of God. It's the household of God. And we must engage ourselves and as we do, and as we experience that love, that will then become the attraction for others to come as well. And so as we close today, let me just say this. Don't settle any longer for being a DIY. 
why Christian? Now, you don't know what that means because I realized after I used the analogy for service that it's British, not American. In Britain, they have DIY stores. You know what that means? Do it yourself. It's a do it yourself store. It's like a Home Depot or whatever. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are like a DIY Christian. I'm doing it myself. I don't need help. I don't need community. I don't need anybody else. You're wrong. You need everybody else. God's designed it that way. So don't settle any longer for being a DIY Christian. You are part of a family. Start functioning like you're part of a family. You are part of a community. Cultivate and develop the community life. And as I said, in the end, it will be a great blessing for you. And it will also be a means through which God reaches those that need to be reached. So God help us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful pictures of the church as a family, as a community. And we pray that you would help us to intentionally engage in community so that we can experience to the fullest extent the things that you have for us. Lord, that every person hearing my voice today would recognize that we cannot do it ourselves, that it was never your intention that we do it ourselves, that we are part of a family, that we are part of a community. Help us to embrace that and to experience the full blessing of that. So Lord, for our congregation here at Costa Mesa and for your church in the larger sense, Lord, may we all grow in our understanding of being the household of God, a community of believers in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.